Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to The Evolver, sponsored by The Alchemist Kitchen. Hosted by Ken Jordan. What you touch during the visionary experience can alter you, even transform your life. But you can't take it back with you. It's a glimpse, a fleeting instant that, for the moment, strikes with so much clarity that it's undeniable. But then, that moment fades, and you return to the familiar, sloggy, mundane world, sensing an echo of the direct experience that you had had, while at the same time, inevitably, questioning it, wondering if it had actually happened, if it had been anything more than a hallucination with no lasting significance. The world we live in, with its materialist paradigm, gives little credence to the visionary. Those of us who have caught a quick look at the ineffable and have been shook by it are encouraged to keep it to ourselves. There's no respected public language for sharing and building on the meaning of the experience. No one ever got to be president by speaking honestly about our collective divinity. That's why I have so much gratitude for the innovators of our emerging transformational culture. What they do is draw maps for the rest of us so we can trace the footsteps of their own path forward and in the process, remember what we have seen ourselves. Not doubt it, embrace it. Alex Gray's artwork has provided that kind of map for many of us. I've often heard friends talk about how Alex painted a vision that they themselves have had during a private journey to what must be a universal frontier. That the latticework weavings of energy Alex captures on canvas mirror the pictures they have in their own mind's eye. In today's episode, Alex and I talk about his approach to this visionary plane and the steps it took for him to give himself fully to expressions of the cosmic. In the process, we discuss Alex's deep connection to Ram Das, his thoughts about gurus, about working with shadow material, the drug war, and what it's like to see your artwork tattooed on literally hundreds if not thousands of people. We also dive into the inspiration behind the Sacred Mirrors, the series of 21 paintings of spiritual states that took Alex a decade to complete, and the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors, or Cosm, the home of those paintings, as well as a home for visionary art and psychedelic spirituality in upstate New York. Alex Gray is the author of Sacred Mirrors, Transfigurations, The Mission of Art, and Art Psalms. His work has graced numerous album covers, including those of Nirvana, Tool, and the Beastie Boys, and has been exhibited throughout the world. In 2004, Alex and his wife, artist Allison Gray, opened the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors in New York City, a gallery and sacred space for Alex's original paintings and other visionary artworks. In 2009, Cosm, now a church, moved from Manhattan to the Hudson Valley, Alex is wonderfully articulate about his own experience in realms that most of us find so hard to give words to. He leaves us maps to the divine, not only through his artwork, but through how he talks about and leads his life. As Alex shows by example, you can live your life as an artwork in service to others, guided by light. It starts with being present, 
and trusting your vision of the visionary. Everyone seems to be talking about CBD these days, that is, cannabidiol, the non-psychoactive component of cannabis. The buzz is that CBD doesn't make you high, like THC does. But for conditions such as stress and anxiety, health professionals are increasingly recommending it as an alternative to pharmaceuticals. And scientific research is showing that CBD is highly anti-inflammatory, so it can help with pain relief. What does the scientific research say about CBD? Research centers in the United States and elsewhere are studying the effects of CBD on a variety of ailments. Scientists refer to CBD as a promiscuous compound because it offers therapeutic benefits in many different ways while tapping into how we function physiologically and biologically on a deep level. Extensive preclinical research and some clinical studies have shown that CBD has strong antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, antidepressant, antipsychotic, and neuroprotective qualities. What's the best way to take CBD? CBD-rich cannabis oil products can be taken sublingually, orally, as edibles, lozenges, beverages, tinctures, and gel caps, or applied topically. Concentrated cannabis oil extracts can also be heated and inhaled with a vape pen. Inhalation is good for treating acute symptoms that require immediate attention. The effects can be felt within a minute or two and typically last for a couple of hours. The effects of orally administered CBD-rich cannabis oil can last for four hours or more, but the onset of effects is much slower, like 30 to 90 minutes, than inhalation. Evolver is the proud papa of the Alchemist Kitchen, a botanical dispensary located in the Bowery District of New York, where you can find the finest quality CBD products available without THC. We also make our own premium CBD under the Plant Alchemy label. Our producer Jose's mom uses it for stress, anxiety, and high blood pressure. Our plants are grown in both field and greenhouse environments, cultivated using living soil organic principles, leveraging strictly organic inputs, and in full compliance with the controls defined by the Colorado Department of Agriculture. Our plants are some of the highest CBD cannabis varieties currently known. You can find out more about CBD by visiting the Alchemist Kitchen website at thealchemistskitchen.com. There's an S in there. And searching for CBD. There are articles on the blog, an FAQ, and a selection of vetted products. Or stop by our spot at 21 East 1st Street in Manhattan, between Bowery and 2nd Avenue, and talk to one of our staff herbalists. At the shop, tell them you listen to the Evolver podcast and receive a 10% discount on any product on the shelves. Yeah, so tell me what this is exactly, then. What did I step into? Well, we're in the studio of Alex Gray and Allison Gray, and it's kind of our studio office because this is where a lot of the meetings at uh, COSM occur, is in the office slash studio. And we try to continue painting as we're discussing the various things that it takes to uh, keep this place operating. It's our launching pad and our landing point uh, when we journey around the world. This is where we return to our little cabin in the woods. I mean, this is quite a cabin. This is much nicer than many cabins I have been in. (laughs) So when I walked in, the way I walked in was into the area where you guys 
were working, the studio. You're painting the beautiful portrait of Ram Das. Yes. Four Ram Dasses. And his guru. Yes, Maharaji or Neem Karoli Baba. Right. The amazing, uh, transformative human that, unbeknownst to many, probably had a, a huge hand in. Uh, turning many people toward Eastern religions. Why unbeknownst to many, would you say? I just don't know that everybody would understand that he was the genius behind Be Here Now, you know, and behind uh, Ramdas. People have heard of Ramdas. If you go anywhere into depth with Ramdas, then you understand Maharaji. Right, he's not hiding it. No, not at all. And it's, it's front and center. It's like... That was what he said to us when he was with us. All I can give you is my guru, Maharaji. And he gave us these malas with a little bit of the blanket thread from Maharaji's blanket. Now, the blanket is significant for so many reasons, but they've been tearing it apart over the decades, you know, because he died in 73, See, so this is a sacred relic that they've been very carefully parsing out to his devotees and students and things like that, so that each of them have a piece of Maharaji, and that, in a sense, the blanket is upon you. The feeling that we had from being with Ramdas was totally like we were wrapped in a golden blanket of love and and i was i was saying do you feel this you know like when you have like one of those weird psychoplasmic uh pieces of clothing on you know like you can't quite tell is that a spirit or is that a is that just your imagination this was in his presence or when you yes yes in in his presence presence and when we walked out Mm. like when we walked out like like when you're in the field of a guru or something, you know, it's like they have special sauce that they're surrounded by. And it might be also angels or dakinis or whatever, you know, are hanging out with that particular master. And so when you go away, it's like you still ha- you have some of that tingly uh, energy you know, that is like a swarm of love, you know, that is some of it comes with you. And that's why people feel blessed just to be around people that are so bright and so uh, turned on. They've opened the floodgates to the source of love, you know, and now they can't help it. Now that's all they are. He was just such a delight to be with and was so generous to us. He had you known him before? Yes, throughout I mean, our lives, he's been uh, he's been there. So and, when you say throughout your lives, like in the early seventies, late sixties, did yes. you connect to be here now back in the day? I connected to be here now, but I, you know, I saw it there. I wasn't into the spiritual stuff at that time because I thought life sucked. And that was all delusional, you know, like this, you know. Yeah, me too. The hippies like <laughs> went off the deep end and whatnot. They don't really understand what a cruel and really just terrible world it is. And so I, I was still on my bummer trip of my 
18 uh, years and uh, seeing what a criminal regime our government was and everything and everything turned to bullshit basically and and so by the time uh i took acid uh which i was the age of 21 i was you know as i've said before kind of suicidally depressed basically so I was, it was actually the perfect time for me because I, it led me to a full on mystical experience where I got to meet God and get reassured there is a light beyond. It's so infinite, loving, and uh, true that you need doubt no longer. If that was your question, my son. So uh, well, that hit you the first time you took acid. Absolutely, bang, bang. Yeah. You know, and I was in a tunnel. I've never had a trip like this since. I saw the same vision for hours. You never see the same vision for hours. You see that tunnel, a yeah. light tunnel. It was like imagine if you were inside of like a conch shell. A mother of pearl, kind of iridescent, whitish, living, like a shell, but then right around the corner was where the light was coming from. The light was right behind the corner, and it was spreading light throughout the, like the tunnel shaft. Now, I was in the dark part of the tunnel, but I was coming toward the light. So you were coming toward the light for yes. hours? Hours. You were you were lying down, eyes closed. Which... No, I was like sitting up on a couch in Allison's living room during a party. In a party. In a party. No one disturbed me because they knew I was tripping. No one knew. Probably it was the first time I had ever tripped, and it was a, it was significant enough to keep me sitting there, pretty much for hours so the light always remained behind the corner yes but it was speaking to me it was every i knew that everything that one could know would want to know and it was possible to know was before me and present there in that light and would always and remain an ultimate mystery but would remain as a force of ultimate source of existence. You know, that like, what is this God? You know, but there it was. And, and so for me, that was the confirmation that I needed not in order so, so that I wouldn't commit suicide. And uh, I was no longer interested in that. Now life was a much more interesting game. The multiple dimensions of reality were occurring and I called up Allison the next day because she had drank the other part of the brew that I'd brought with me from my professor who had given me the acid. My professor, who I, I won't saw, out yeah. him, but he's oh, yeah. such an awesome dude. He, Statue of limitations are up. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he was... This, uh, we owe that guy a lot. He was the ultimate outlaw teacher you know SVA? like a zen master would would like bang you on the head with a stick so here it is you know acid in Kahlua bang bang 
you know, thank you. That's just what I needed. It turned me around, and literally, in the tunnel. And then it was literally a turning point. I was getting how many symbols are like are there here. You I was in the dark so- going toward the light. Yeah. It was, I changed my name because of that. Because all the shades of gray right. bring the opposites together. That was going to be my mission as an artist, to bring the opposites together. So you were still working with dark after oh, that experience. yeah. Right. So it did it not immediately take you into a... No. So you have a really a clear... You have your memory of, frankly, what you see when you trip is a lot clearer and more precise than many other people. That is a particular gift that seems that you have. And I'm wondering, did you ever paint that particular, that first experience? I did. You did? Yeah. It was the polar unity spiral. I made up a religion about it. It was like, you know, when you first trip and you first meet God and like, it's like the whole entire world is like now completely different. And so I had a lot of pretty naive, but pretty universally mystical statements that I thought were very original. I had no idea about the history of mysticism and, and uh, all of the comrades we have uh, over the centuries. But you're, so you're, you're going into that, you're opening up towards this light. But when you see, let's just say, be here now on the coffee table <laughs> in the hippie girl's you know, dorm room, effectively... Like, at what point did that start to talk to you? Because I just, from my own experience, like, this girl I had a crush on, Derek Nur, in college, you know, was deep into Be Here Now. And mm-hmm. I was like a punk rocker. And man, it didn't, it was not happening for me. And I like all that handwriting in the book. I'm like, oh, come on. It took me a while, you know, before yes. I opened to that. Yes. And I'm wondering for you, how did that start to play out? 180. I did a 180. How quickly? In that, well, because I called up Allison the next day and I talk, told her about, you're not going to believe this, but, you know, some really important stuff for me happened. And, and we went out that night. We never been apart since then. And so the thing is, she had a similar opening to Uh, her acid experience and opening to God, it came to her in a different set of symbols in her secret language. But her willingness to start looking for God with acid came about because she read Be Here Now. Awesome. So because she read Be Here Now, she was looking for God with acid, found it, but couldn't talk about it really. Not Something that was easy to just strike up a conversation. Hey, I saw God with acid the other day, you know. Wow, you know. I suppose increasingly now that's like, yeah, so did I, you know. But back then, the drug war was in high gear. High gear just started up. So you best not talk about that right now, even though the books were still circulating. And so... Because of her opening to God, and because that was our opening for being together for the rest of our lives, we owe it to Ramdas. We wouldn't be sitting here talking unless Maharaji was. 
because Ramdas wouldn't exist without Maharaji. So we owe sitting here to Maharaji. See, not everybody thinks about that. But that's the truth. There's a Maitreya sculpture that is one of the most beautiful sculptures. It's within a couple miles of here. It's part of the uh, Kagyu uh, Tibetan Buddhist community, the monastery that was built by Lama Norla. So over a 30-year period, Lama Norla was taken care of by Maharaji. He was accompanied to America when he couldn't speak English by people like Surya Das and Krishna Das, people who were hanging out with Maharaji, who had been t- who'd basically taken care of him from off the street and stuff. So not only the Hindu lineage, but also some of the Buddhist lineage. Yes! He played a role yes. in bringing to this country. Absolutely, because he was indiscriminately loving. He was universally loving. And that's all he instructed Ramdas to do is love everyone and tell the truth. Now, that's like a koan. You know, how are you going to undo that pretzel? You got to tell the truth and love everybody. Oh, man, I can't do that. Fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but there's a challenge that a guru put to a student, to a devotee. Ooh, can you live with that one, son? You know, and so that was big. And I think that the uh, championships of loving, you'd have to put Ramdas right up there. And so I feel so honored to uh, be working on this portrait. And the great thing, he uh, consented to, uh, you know, hanging out and talking with us so, so this is a new things. thing that you actually are hanging with, like because he played this huge role for you. Oh yeah, but maybe already the, he like opened going way us back. up. But you guys, when did you actually really connect with him? We connected with him a couple years, a few years ago, mm-hmm. when he was in Hawaii, and more yeah. that we could come and visit him, and we had friends uh, like Vishnu Das who were taking care of or being part of the entourage of folks that surround and support. Uh, Ram Das, we had always wanted to spend a little more time with someone who we consider, I mean, in the lineage of people who have married the grand, sacred, mystical tradition of Hinduism and uh, Vedantic truth and wisdom with um, psychedelic culture. Now, he's the archetype the only archetype we have of this successful kind of blend and marriage of hippie becomes guru. Uh, Successfully. And so authentic and truthful and really not pompous, but completely like revealing, you know, of his own, this is his... He's able to access his shadow, uh, have compassion for it, find a way to integrate, talk with, and even uh, make a context for a spiritual teaching about it. You know, this is the way we hold it intelligently. We integrate it in our psyche. We have to address our shadow. You know, our spiritual masters are... You know, good gods, you know, these people who are invested with so much power by people, 
then it's so sad. In so many cases, there's the taking advantage of people. And we see that repeatedly. Well, so that, that definitely, it's, that it's tends horrendous. to happen. That it's can, so sad. Then. Yeah. Thing. But he's not. He does not have he, that rep. No, that's he for does sure. not. He does no. not. And he's very revealing. And he's very, like, uh, not. He's the reluctant guru in a sense, you know, because he is so bright and turned on, and he's only the conduit, as he says, for his master. And because he's surely in love with Maharaji, and he got that transmission. He got it full on. Bang, yeah. Full, Bang. Yeah. It immediately changed so many people. You know, I did a podcast with um, Duncan Trussell. Ah. Where he goes to retreats with Ram Dass every year. And he talks at length about his meditation practice. Yes. And his sense of receiving transmission through Ram Dass. Wow. Right? Yeah. And seeing that that's about. And feeling that connection to Maharaji yes. himself. And his mala beads. There you go. It's fascinating. There you go. Part of the mala. Exactly. How do you begin to prepare for doing a portrait like you're doing of Ram Dass? And you've done them for all of these, let's say, psychedelic icons, right? For many people you've done. For Albert Hoffman and the Shulgins. And and this this feels like of a piece with that work. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I I was thinking about that and it, it's funny that it really didn't dawn on me that the psychedelic heroes are icons to many of us. These are heroes. They're people who have championed a kind of truth that's been awkward at best in, in refined and intelligent company for decades, frankly. They've had to endure. These are the people that have endured the the worst part of the war on drugs not that it that it's not still the worst you know thing but it is fragmenting the machinery is fragmenting somewhat because the states are are buckling and the world is is recognizing the fake news that the drug war has always been it's a race war it's a horrible way to hurt are, uh, you know, and disqualify people from participating simply because they choose a different way of opening their minds. And this is, open minds are evidently something that the state is not interested in the people having. Now, why would that be? Hmm. Yes. Well, we want a state that would actually encourage the open-mindedness and the open-heartedness and the progressive values of its citizenry. And in that way, I'm a champion of cannabis uh, throughout the world and feel that this it can help us, uh, lead us toward a more uh, sacred understanding of the world. Because until you see the beauty and sacredness of the world, you're probably not going to want to save it. And if you don't want to save it, there that's the end of the human species. You have a powerful relationship to cannabis. It's deep. Well, I think that it's a plant ally that's had a deep relationship with humanity. I mean, for literally the since the dawn of agriculture, you know, you've had this relationship that uh, cannabis cannabis was 
probably the first cultivated plant because at the they placed the dawn of agriculture, and I still don't believe this, at around twelve to, to 10,000 years ago. And the first evidence that they have of it are like pottery shards in a agricultural site in China. So the way that they recognize it is they were already building, making rope out of hemp, hemp fibers, were in the ceramic shards that were dated from that age. So they were already cultivating uh, cannabis at that point. And this is the dawn of agriculture. So we can look at it at the dawn of civilization itself because agriculture led to civilization. We can look at the agricultural myths and things of some of the early religions, like the Greek uh, Eleusinian mystery uh, religion. That was a total agricultural mythology. Persephone and Demeter, it was the nature. She's gone, she's buried underground, you know, and, and, and oh, the world is bereft, and, and so winter comes, and it loses all of its life, and, and oh, will it ever come to life again? And, and then she springs forth, you know, out of the ground, and uh, beauty returns to the world. So the, the personification of the force of agriculture to renew life to bring beauty back to the world, to green the world, that is a miracle. That is a legitimate miracle. Now, civilization was based, and the religions of the civilizations were based on a legit miracle. The human mythic embodiment, they never thought Demeter and Persephone really lived. They didn't. They were mythological figures. They were visionary figures that they could imagine in the reenactment of the Eleusinian mystery religion, which all was the civil religion of Greece for 2,000 years and was psychedelic. So that's a way psychedelics have mainstreamed, been mainstreamed in the culture, but it was something that was a mystery that was not spoken of. I mean, revealed uh, in writing and things like that. I'm sure they talked about their mystical experiences, and Sappho wrote of it, and numerous other philosophers did write of their mystical experiences. And I believe that idealism was founded on the psychedelic experience. Socrates had been through the Eleusinian mystery uh, tradition and had a relationship with his, quote, daemon, who he would speak with, the spirit figure that he would argue with for hours in the public square. So he was a known visionary. He was in touch with the visionary world. So to point to an ideal realm of the archetypes that you could uh, get in contact with and the platonic solids, the sacred geometries, all of these things are psychedelic insights, really. And uh, so speaking of this world, it, it doesn't work as well if you don't have the kaikion, you know, the psychedelic brew. 
Now, if the idealists had had the psychedelic and people were saying, well, we don't believe in your gods. Well, here, just drink this. You know, you'd have the proof. You know, the idealists haven't fared so well in the West, you know, because they were deprived of their proof. Now we have it again. It's interesting because I think back then, the psychedelic experience happened in the context of a culture yes. that could hold it. Yes. That already had a more deliberate and direct connection to the spiritual realm. Absolutely. So that somebody like Socrates would understand that, okay, through his initiation into a, into a, into a spiritual knowledge, which probably included the Kaiki honor. Yes. That he then enters the society in a way that allows him to integrate that awareness so that he can live that and bring it to others. Yes. And we don't know how many other people at that time were similarly holding that connection to their daemon. Yes. But people, it, the, the, the literature that I'm aware of doesn't treat Socrates as this outlier, bizarro figure who's the only one with that connection. Not exactly. They just kind of mention it. He's got it. Yes. Right? It's part of the context of the way he lives. Mm-hmm. It feels to me like we're now entering an era where we're developing a new understanding of what it is to be human. Yes. That allows space for that to re-enter the broader society. And the psychedelics is playing a huge role in this. Huge. At the same time, the embrace of these other Eastern traditions like meditation and kundalini yoga, as well as new science and understanding how the brain, you know, shifts when it's in certain kinds of states, of ecstatic states, that allows for an opening to an understanding, right? All these things are happening in concert to create a beautiful, essentially recalibration of how we understand ourselves and how we're connected to each other and to the whole planet and to everything that lives. It's a very exciting crescendo of uh, consciousness at this time and the the stakes have never been higher for awakening, really. You know, every uh, instrument at our, you know, every media that we can use uh, to help people gain a sacred understanding of life and just to regain their wonder at the beauty and mystery and find the love wherever they can in in their lives and the joy that these are the things that we want to be able to gift our great-grandchildren with you know we want we want a long horizon of the human species in concord with a sustainable uh, relationship with the life web that we respect and and gain wisdom from and we have to imagine these things even if we don't exactly believe that things are heading in that direction if you can't imagine the port you want to land in then you're always just you know terrified at where you're heading well you know this from your own youth 
in part yeah. because you were talking about how dark yeah. a place you were coming from right. before you opened up into this journey. Yeah. And the struggle that's involved in going from that place into a place where you can hold that sense of light still, yeah. you know, you got to keep your iron, ironic sensibility. You got to keep your sense of humor. <laughs> oh, yeah. But and, there, right. in fact, uh, it gets, the humor gets hum- better. Yeah, the human <laughs> plans, God laughs. Yeah, yeah. right. There's, so, there's something I want to ask you about in terms of the, that working with that dark, because that also, you know, the chaos factor of working with that material can actually open up an awful lot of creative space. Absolutely. And I think that artists inevitably have to deal with all those energies, you know, the creative, the destructive, and the counterproductive. And, you know, I think that the path of art has been a, a really wonderful and open uh, kind of way to hold our spiritual opening, you know, because if you don't have to classify it as a particular denomination or sacred tradition you know if you get more aligned with the universal mystical opening like the mystical experience and see where that is the same kind of river flowing through all the different traditions and that it's the same pure strand that runs through it all it's possible you know, for anybody to get in contact with it because it's the thread that keeps us alive, you know. And uh, so once you kind of reorient yourself and your artwork to that mystical dimension, that's why I think that creating a sanctuary of visionary art is worthwhile doing because it creates like a battery of those kind of healing insights that come from the mystical dimensions. Anyone who's like in these studies that the psychedelic science has been performing is anyone who's gotten a healing is basically because they have a mystical experience, you know? And that is more in the spiritual slash religious end of things. We can keep it in the medical psychoanalytic framework if we wish to play legal uh, games with the government and stuff and and try to prove uh, scientifically that this stuff works. Every hippie could tell you that, but they have to prove it. And once they do, then there's irrefutable evidence that try everything that they can to stop it. We've finally been able to prove this shit is good for you. That's been an amazing, amazing journey for a lot of certain people. It really is fantastic to see that. You capture the light so beautifully in your work. And I do wonder whether you could have done that without having depicted the dark as deeply as you did. At one time? Well, I think that uh, my forays into more transgressive grounds, I think, really taught me the value of an ethical standing in one's work, and that that was actually a thing. That if you didn't watch yourself, you could morally or ethically, you know, slide down a slippery slope especially if you were as negative 
a mindset as I was. And so I think that it really, really helps to uh, work with those energies in some way. You know, to an art is one of those perfect mediums where you can wrestle with your shadows and hopefully it's not going to hurt anybody. You know, you can portray things which you would never want really to see, but you saw in your, you know, uh, scary hell visit that you had. And uh, so you somehow want to get the monster out of the box. Psychologists say that there's really only one way to transform a negative state, and that's if you can objectively look at the subjective state that you're troubled by. And so with art, you have a method that literally objectifies your subjective state. So there you have it, something that you can contemplate, monster out of the box, now in a different state. Now not confined, now somehow different, things have changed. So now you have another perspective on the shadow. Now maybe you can own it and move on, or if you can't heal something, you can acknowledge that you sometimes feel that way that this is a record of, of that. And so I regard like performances and drawings and paintings and stuff that was done in the more focused in a negative or dark state, which was very catalyzing for me. It was like, wow, this is an energy I can work from. This was very creatively inspiring to me. And I could tell that it was very seductive in a way, to be negative, because there was no end of it <laughs> that you could be had. Uh, but likewise, you could see that the other direction was also infinite. And that was the important thing, was to choose. Choose life. Choose love. And that's a moral, ethical choice. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you remember the moment for you when you began to shift the focus of the work into the love? I think it was uh, probably the walk home from the uh, life energy performance. It was like 1978 or something like that, I think. We had just done the first kind of group performance like thing, Allison and I. It was mostly, I suppose, I was directing it. And uh, I wanted to give a lecture about life energy, you know, about 
the chi and the prana and the psychic energies and Korean photography and all the, the kind of stuff that was inspiring me at the time, that was influencing my work. It was 1978, 77, 78. I hadn't really painted any of my psychic energy system kind of things yet. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so at this life energy performance, I did two charts. They were life-size charts, black and white uh, drawings. And, and one was the nervous system, and one was a simple chakra chart with uh, auras around it and stuff. And they were trying to present two different ideas about consciousness and life energy. And so you stand in front of it like a mirror, and you try and get in touch with your own life energy system you know oh cool your nervous system and your you know like your acupuncture meridians and points and chakras and stuff like that so they were two charts and uh we did a variety of exercises together as a community and then like at the end of the thing i warned people before this but then i thought one should witness the passing of life energy and so I had a rat that I had taken from the uh, medical, or that I had gotten, and that uh, the medical lab that I worked near had given me a guillotine for the rat. They had a guillotine for the rat? Yeah, because they did rat experiments. Cutting off In, rats' heads to see what yes, happened? Yes. I, this is a thing? I didn't know this was a thing. In medical school, are you kidding? Research labs? Go in and see what they do. They take guts out. They do all kinds of stuff. It's like guinea pigs, ducks, rabbits, I don't know, dogs, all kinds of terrible things are part of scientific research. So this is like the French Revolution for a little rat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So after we did that, no one wanted to talk to us. You did that? You did, did on stage? I did that, yeah. Announced? Not unannounced? No, I... I warned everybody, warned everybody that this is now we've reached this part where there's, we're going to witness the passing of life energy. So I want to warn you and tell you what's going to happen. Those who, there might be some who might want to leave at this point before I do this. Well, had you rehearsed this at home? No. No. Okay. This is a first and last time? First and last time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well. So after I did it, I felt terrible. Yeah. It was like... Everybody, all of us did. Yeah. It was really like icky. Well, and from a ceremonial perspective, now you have a deeper understanding of how these energies work. You're calling some weird shit into the room. I called some really weird shit in. And so everybody was hushed. Everybody left quietly. And Allison and I were walking home. Really like, oh, we fucked it up. You know, now nobody will talk to us. This is, oh, oh geez, what was I thinking? Yeah. All, you know, friend, all your friends oh, are in the room. Oh, no. This is like downtown New York performance. Totally, totally. Uh, it's, like, it's all intimate guy. People yes, have been watching your process. Exactly. They're seeing you go. And you're just like, uh, Alex stepped over the line, Yeah, man. now not. Uh, you know, and yeah. so Allison said, you know, people really love the charts. <laughs> That's very positive. Yeah. What you ought to do is a whole series of paintings based on that. Uh -huh. Thus, the sacred mirrors were born. You went straight to the sacred mirrors from the rat. 
I didn't that was that. the inspiration. <gasps> oh. Wouldn't have happened unless I killed a rat. That's the sacred mirror. That's amazing. Wow, and that's such a beautiful, huge, complete vision. So let's talk about this for Immediately, a yeah. it was like, bang. I saw the entire series. That's it awesome. It took me 10 years to do. Yeah. You, know? you saw it right away. I, oh, immediately. Because you already were working with, with energies. With, and then, okay. And actually, our producer, Jose, had this question. And you knew how to like, draw anatomy. Yeah. You got into anatomy in a heavy way. Right. Early. What, what, what was it about the body and anatomy that attracted you? Uh, that it's the box that consciousness comes in. That if I didn't respect it, then I couldn't convey consciousness, which was the subject of my work. Interesting. So that, were you already doing work as a medical illustrator and that occurred to you? Or? No. Oh, interesting. I was always fascinated by anatomy, though, evidently. I mean, my mom gave me a box of my drawings and it was like... Uh, I was five, and there was a skeleton. And then 10, <laughs> Grim Reaper. Whoa. And then, oh my God, I forgot my art school thing. There's my anatomy chart. And so I was doing the skeleton always, and I have several different stages. And so for me, this shows like the consciousness evolution. This shows the magical, the mythical. There's the Grim Reaper. Then the analytical, rational which is like the dissecting the bones and stuff like that. The work I was doing later became more the devotional. And uh, then like my portrait of dying shows like the idea of mortality, you know, in a multidimensional yeah. way. And so the, still the same subject of death and mortality from multiple different lenses as consciousness ascends. And so with Sacred Mirrors, you began a, a project where you are effectively demonstrating the energetics of a spiritual awareness through the way the body holds those energies. Right, right. Yeah, it becomes the context that evaporates. The context that evaporates? Tell me what that means. What do you think of, what, do you, what does that mean I think, you? Uh, you ever smoked 5-MeO? I have. Okay. You know what I mean by evaporating? Uh, well, it goes You're, by really fast. <laughs> yes. But briefly. Yes, I disappear. You, you yes. disappear. I yes. disappear. Yes. And you are a part of it all. Right. And so that's what happens basically in the mystical experience. The body identity, not that the real body, but the body identity drops away. One gets in contact with the authentic core self-reality, ultimate mystery that is running through us, and back. And the affirmation of its existence is something that all religion has been about from the beginning and religious art has been about from the beginning. And I think it continues to be. And that's what we're about. So the sacred mirrors, just quickly, yes. 12 portraits? 
For 12? It's 21. 21. 21 pieces. I knew it was one and two. I just didn't know which order. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it shows... Which is, you tell me exactly okay. how you well, describe it. Just body, quickly. mind, yeah. spirit of an individual in a gothic-type frame that Allison and I sculpted over uh, months of time and created 21 of these, she and I together. It shows the different systems of the physical body. Like there's The first one is the material world. It's an actual mirror or panels of mirrors that are also sandblasted with the periodic table of the elements. And uh, then they're all fused together with one kind of silhouette of a human figure into which I've hammered the biochemistry of the body. So the various different chemicals that make up our bag of chemicals of the body are uh, registered there in this lead figure. So the idea of starting alchemically with lead and starting with the base of the material world is very deliberate and the entry into the sacred mirrors is through this fragmented dimension of the material world. And so when one looks to see themselves, one sees fragmentation in all the you know different leading of the mirrors the next one's the skeleton so you start with death and you stand before it but the idea is get in touch with the bones inside of yourself and then the nervous system etc etc through the various systems of the body and then we add the layers of the skin you've got the caucasians and the asians and the black couple that are there and then which are more like the socio-political racial area of difference you know this is the mind the mind makes difference it draws boundaries and so before that you can easily identify with these different systems of the body you know but once you put skin on then it's inviting you in the context of the sacred mirrors to see yourself reflected in others and so then you get to the psychic energy system And uh, so this is the opening up to the subtle energetics and of the spirit. And then you've got the spiritual energy system, which shows a progressive breakdown of the identity with the body and the circulating field of light around the body. And then the total breakdown in the universal mind lattice. And that's a recounting of a mystical experience that Allison and I had on June 3rd, 1976. That's there in the center, then different spiritual archetypes come uh, after that, and we end with the spiritual world, which is another mirror, uh, but it's sandblasted with the name of God in the center, in the light. Beautiful. Your depictions of subtle energy and of the way that energetics work on the spiritual level, it's so precise, and it feels like these are these these are um, flows that you have seen. It looks like you've you've had those visions. Yes. Do those visions happen only with psychedelics? I'd say mostly. When do they but not? The, when do they not happen with psychedelics? Back then, especially when you were kind of doing this kind of initial right 
Uh, well, the, my first vision of the psychic energy system was with no drug at all. And it was just in front of a mirror. And it was an instant kind of flash. I saw, because I was, I was working on one uh, that we don't, have, we don't have any longer in the sacred mirrors. But it was uh, one with the skin and the aura around it. It was the very first one I did. And now it's been like phased out, but I was trying to imagine. The painting's that, still around somewhere. You just don't yeah, have Yeah, it's probably rolled up and crinkled and <laughs> bad. I, I wish we had it somewhere. We could probably saw it. But uh, yeah, it's the foundation of the sacred mirrors. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, it's anyway. value on eBay just went up you right. know, significantly. Oh, God. Okay. Well, I was trying to imagine the next phase like what it would look like incandescent. What does human incandescence and bioluminescence look like, you know, to a clairvoyant? And can't we see it through this X-ray lens? That's part of shamanic art, you know. I didn't know it then, you know, but I was seeing all of these things. And also the idea of not having the identity impeded by i you know its race to look at the translucency of the skin and to see what's common to all of us and in that way create a more universal human figure that wasn't identified with country or something like that so you're presenting this vision it offers a map in a way for people who are looking to understand what's going on in that realm. It's kind of like a, a breadcrumb trail. Body, mind, spirit. Here's all that we are. Yeah, just, I mean, in a sketch, in a thumbprint. Yeah, it's a little, uh, yeah. I think that that's, I mean, sacred places are supposed to remind us of our sacredness. So the idea of sacred mirrors, like what would we see there? Would we see our soul? What is a sacred mirror? Are we a sacred mirror? You know, is love the sacred mirror? Is that when we open up to the sacredness of everything? You know, this idea of sacred mirror, that's also something Allison came up with. See, she came up with the whole, you know, do a series of paintings based on that. Awesome. On the charts, uh -huh. and then she named it. Good. Sacred Mirrors. So that whole, I think we're still chewing on that as a fruity, you know, philosophical mm, bone. You know, the more you regard something as a sacred mirror, the more it becomes that, and that you can see the sacredness in it. You know, we need to see nature, the sacred mirror of nature, you know, and... Uh, and each other, and that's what creates a more peaceful world. Well, it brings intention into it. When your intention is to see the sacred, you call it forward in a way. That's right. Yeah. See God. Mm -hmm. Just see God. Yeah. You know, and it's a a way to turn us positive in a neg in a negative field, which is not the same as just like, oh, I'm going to have positive thoughts. Or I'm going to force a positivity into something that maybe is not where it's not appropriate. Yeah, but and it's more it, like can you connect to that energetic vibrational thing 
that's going on that you may not have been noticing? Can you tune into that? Because what you keep hearing, what I keep hearing, I'm sure you hear it more than I do, for a lot of people, the paintings that you've done beginning with Sacred Mirrors and then moving forward, that continued body of work uh, can rep- represents in a visual way what a lot of people experience when they have a when they have an awakening moment. It gives them it's like it's, you know say like the I'm going to fuck everything up because I don't remember the titles of your amazing paintings. Yeah. Okay, but the guy meditating right. in the in the, in the grid. What's it? Theologue. Theologue. It's a, it's a uh, strange name. Yeah. Theologue. Yeah. Where did that come from? That's was bang. It came in all of these things. I'm told what they are. This was one of those things. This one's, you know, it's theologue. Okay. Theologue. Okay. So you have never heard of that. Uh, oh, but it is a thing. It's a dialogue with God. A theologue. Oh, I love that. I came to you without you knowing what it was. Yeah, I didn't know what that was. Yeah. And then it had a subtitle. The subtitle was really fucking long. The Union of Human and Divine Consciousness, Weaving the Fabric of Space and Time in Which the Self and Its Surroundings Are Embedded. Precise. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So this is the voice. You get the voice. Now, do you know who that voice is? You know, I think it's different voices. Frankly, there's one voice that uh, I can identify because it uses the same kind of words and inflection. It repeats basically all the stuff I haven't made. It keeps mentioning, you know. Oh, yeah. Stuff. So yeah. that's a specific one. Um, I'm not sure that's the same one that, that all of them are, you know. I think there's a flock of angels basically that are interested in visionary art. Oh, and you think you, and sh- you they're share like a them? tribe like we are? Saying, do you think they sh- the are you sharing them with Android? I, and, and I'm sure and they're all <laughs> flying around, you know, and like they're tugging on all of us, you right, know. Right. Hey, you know, so and so didn't get this one yet. You take it, you know. And like I don't know, I don't know how it works really, but the but a lot of artists see the same things. They do. It isn't just you know like making. You know, oh, I'm doing this because so-and-so did it. Not always. Well, you know, you opened up this territory of a kind of, you know, depicting the visualizations of these psychedelic moments, connection. I think Maddie Klarwein and Ernst Fuchs and a lot of the other, and Giger, all those artists were doing this. Well, they're doing it in a different way. See, the, the way that I see it is that they capture visionary experiences. Yes. The work that you developed presents the visionary experience within almost a diagrammatic framework. It's got a little more science-y. It's got more science-y to it. Yeah, it's yeah. got sort of more like showing the way the energy moves. It's, it's more interested more in analytical. Related. It's, it's yeah, analytical. Yeah. It's analytical in a way. Yeah. And then, like it felt to me, and you were, must have been much more cognizant of this than I, than I am, so you can correct me, but it felt to me like then there was another generation that came up Oh, totally. Looking at that analytical way, more analytical way of capturing, almost literally, the visions that they're having yes. in spiritual, during spiritual totally. openings, often psychedelic openings, right. and going, okay, I'm going to nail that one, I'm going to nail this one. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. I um, think that's the quest, you know, and so I think it's that, been yeah. clarified, but it, it's like a lot of us really came to the same thing at the same time. 
at the uh, at well, the, well you say it came to you at the same time when did you notice other people coming along well you know and who's who's worked i think you? that roberto venosa uh robert yeah. venosa and martina hoffman sure. they were old friends and we we uh hung out at numerous places all kinds of uh you know like conferences terence mckenna's uh all chemical conference we got together and and stuff that was 1999 or something like that mm-hmm. at any rate uh and we had been corresponding and sharing books and things like that and uh he and a couple of other guys were really the only other visionary artists you know it was kind of like wow this is paltry you know we went over in 93 i think to see giger and fuchs and uh Klarwine and they were my heroes and uh i got to meet them all awesome sitting at one table you know like and uh, our family strolled up and there they were so what, what was that like amazing they're just the best i love those guys and uh they you know i mean fuchs was absolutely the king of everything and and uh he Ernst was inspired yes he was inspiring everyone and uh so it was a it was a visionary art show from people all over the world that really Ernst had inspired and was there in, uh, oh, God, where was it? It was in Venice in Italy in 93 cool. in had the you, summer. You hadn't begun working with Tool yet at that point? No, no. I didn't start with Tool till 99, 2000. Yeah. Really, 2001 was when Lateralis came out. Right, right. So, because I'm wondering... You, your work took a different trajectory to the public than a standard art world career. <laughs> am I you being, noticed. I know, am I being delicate here? Uh, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to sell my originals in a gallery show in Soho or wherever. I was moved from Soho to wherever the fuck it is now, Chelsea, whatever. Um, you're creating these originals. You're keeping the originals. You're making reproductions. You're selling posters. You did it. You got my t-shirts. You got the whole, you got the spandex. Okay. Well, so, and my theory in the car driving up here today, talking with Jose and I was like, you know, if it wasn't for tool, (laughs) how would there have been an Alex gray industry? Right. God needs a tool. <laughs> you know, I've been a tool for them, too. They regard everything and everyone that is usable as a tool, and not a bad way. You know, teleologically, a tool is very clear. It has a purpose. And so I love being a tool for them and i think that they've uh maynard's been here maynard Uh, was yeah maynard was here at cosm and did a wonderful presentation on his book tour and uh so we had a conversation on his creative method and um you know i had read the book i wrote a little foreword for the book and uh so it was a fascinating study in creativity. I mean, he's one of a creative genius and uh, certainly quite an amazing fellow. Adam is just my dear friend. And um, 
just recently acquired a painting of mine and uh, so uh, I love all the guys I think I'm uh, yeah, I can't announce too much stuff, but it's. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to continuing to work with uh, Tool. Beautiful. Yeah. So that that opportunity to get that kind of platform, where your work is being presented, enables a whole different way to build a career, right? And you start thinking differently about what a painting is, right? <laughs> And where it's going to show up. Hmm. You began to work, I don't know if this, this is probably already before Tool, but you began, you began to work with these iconic type symbols, like the flaming eye. Right? Yes. You developed a whole vocabulary in a way, where yeah. you're using these different elements. Right. Right. And I'm wondering, and then they, and they frankly, they reproduce so nicely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there. It's interesting how icons work, and uh, I was surprised. I think by all the tattoos. You know, that's been one of the most amazing things, and I, you know, it, they just keep proliferating. Um, it's astonishing, actually. Practically everything I've done has been uh, made into a tattoo of one sort or another. Uh, I mean, that's an exaggeration, but some, at least some of the better things. A I've lot, and, a lot. And uh, yeah. even some self-portraits, uh, so, which is really funny. And uh, so I don't know what to say about that, except that my work has made an impression, literally, on people. <laughs> on the on skin, people. on the skin, for yes. sure. And, and then So I don't know what other artists can say that right now. And uh, yeah, I, I know there's no. thousands of of tattoos. Yeah, when did you start to notice them pop it up? What was it like People to see the first one? People started showing me. They yeah. would come to the uh, the uh, gallery there in New York, and they'd pull their pants down and they'd say, "Hey, man, I want to show you something." And it's like, "Whoa, dude!" <laughs> you know, it's like, "No, look, man!" You know, and it's like he had something on his leg. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, wow. no, it was amazing. And wow. then... Uh, Which seems to be the most popular one? Well, the Flaming Eye, I think I've seen the most of. And it's it's an enduring symbol. It's something about the awakened, the passionate uh, eye. And the uh, and flames and eyes and things like that. When did that first come to you, the Flaming Eye? Well, I was working on the frame for a transfiguration, a painting I did in 93. And uh, so it was, um, you know, sometime in the 90s. And then you started to use it, for, it was in the frame originally, and you said, yeah. hey, I can use that again? I mean, like, how does that work for you when you start this? You know you've now got this vocabulary almost of symbols. Like, yeah, well, you see, I was looking for a... I, I think I always thought about it in terms of the Pentecost, you know those symbols of the Pentecost that uh, when the little flames appear over um, the apostles' heads? So those uh, little flames, uh, tongues of flame, are things that I instantly saw eyes in, you know, because they're tongues of awareness, flames of awareness, you know. That's what they're symbolizing is the light 
that is in the mind. So the light that is the mind, the luminous uh, mind stuff, is what the flaming eye really is. You know, it's it's that passionate, uh, burning uh, insight inside of us. Uh, it's the you know what does the eye see? You know, in the uh, sacred mirror. You know, and when the eye is ignited, you know, that's that's the enlightened eye. Do you feel like you are still working with the same shadow material but transmuting it today? Or do you feel you've gone somewhere else? Uh, I, yeah, it's definitely shifted and changed in things. I, I'm still dealing with so much shadow stuff though it's every day you're just slogging through the swamp i'm afraid yeah. you know i wish I, mm -hmm. I weren't but i i somehow i suppose that's just part of things you have to be emotionally engaged as well with everything you know sure. to we have run the organization i can't just be right. a recluse and paint and and you know hmm. uh, be ornery you know i that's not really my inclination you know but to get things done it's sometimes uh, necessary yeah and psychedelics still play the same kind of role for you or is it changing has it changed I think it's changed you know of course we all do something at Burning Man you know uh, we were just there but the uh, the way that things are now I think we're providing a space for people and you know where it's safe to talk about journeying at least you know and we have a woods and a retreat center and something that's beautiful that's supportive and we were just recently hearing about the scientific evidence that being around surrounded by nature is uplifting at least as as influential as something like the placebo effect or, you know, supplements and things that we have, you know, that can uh, make us healthier overall. Mm -hmm. So a walk in the woods is good for our health. Well, a walk in the woods, having come from Cosm, where your original paintings and Allison's paintings are, and other visionary art, to where it is going to become the home of Entheon, which we just got an incredible little tour through, which was like in the midst of the construction. But man, you can see where this is going. It's a very powerful vision. Um, and then the walk in the woods, not so bad. Not so People got to come check it out. Yeah. Yeah. And they can stay here overnight, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you got, a, you got yeah. a little bed and breakfasty thing Absolutely. happening. It's, it's awesome. A guest house. And it's beautiful. And a cafe, yeah. two hours north of the city. Yeah. Not so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Full moon ceremonies. Maybe Allison can tell you all about what we do here. Oh, we're going to get into that for Great. sure. I'll, when I talk with Allison. Great. But thank you so much for taking the time. Of course, it's Ken. awesome to visit here and hang and oh, catch up a bit. Thank you for caring and thank you for doing what you do to evolve our consciousness. You know, through all of the various media and various contacts, all the networks that you play with. I think it's really astonishing. You're an amazing force in our world. So thank you. Oh, well, you know, luckily nobody can see me blush. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But uh, hearing that from you means a lot. So thank you so much. You know, you blow me away. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Love you. The most important things in life are invisible. You can't see love. You can't see molecules. And most of us can't see the infinite connections that weave us together into the fabric of existence. Alex Gray has that rare ability to give a visual representation to something that most of us only feel if we're lucky. Are those lines of connection real? And do other dimensions shown in Alex's painting actually exist? Well, before the first person saw a water molecule through a microscope, it effectively didn't exist. Then, one day, it did. Could it be that after Alex painted these maps of sacred energy, that they become available and visible for all of us? All I can say is that many people I know have seen the images in Alex's paintings They capture worlds that they knew themselves already before they ever saw his work, which in turn inspires the passion that they feel about what Alex does. It's a beautiful thing to behold, and we're lucky to have it. To learn more about Alex Gray and Cosm and Entheon, the temple for visionary art that they're now building, which is a really impressive and massive structure, please visit cosm.org, C-O-S-M dot O-R-G. Consider supporting Alex and Entheon and the amazing work that they're doing in upstate New York. I want to thank Alex for being a part of this podcast and being on it. And I want to thank you all for listening to it as well. If you like what we're doing here on The Evolver, please let your friends know, share it on social media, leave us ratings on iTunes. That's actually really helpful. And send us an email at theevolver at evolver.net. Remember to follow us on Instagram, at The Evolver Podcast and on Facebook at Evolver Social Movement. And subscribe, please, to The Evolver on iTunes, Google Play, Acast, or on the podcatcher of your choice. I want to thank our producer, Jose Alfaro, and the Acast team. Our theme music is Measure by Measure by Paul D. Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, from his album The Secret Song. And our interstitial music are tracks by The Human Experience, Sunu, from the album Soul Visions with Rising Appalachia, and here for a moment on the album Gone, Gone, Beyond. Please check them out. That's all for now. We'll be back next week. Find the others. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.